Welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the second part of our series going through the book of Galatians. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. We're in a series uh, we started last week going through the book of Galatians. And uh, I said, I'm going to try my very best to read every single verse in this book. And uh, the church said, amen. And so uh, we're going to continue where we left off last week. And uh, if you guys have your Bibles, uh, just turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. One of the reasons that uh, I'm allowing you guys to sit down is because we're going to read a whole bunch of text here. And I would love, you know, in in your Bible app, uh, your Bibles, everyone watching online, whatever you got there, you can highlight, you can underline, uh, just things that that stick out to you, that make a difference to you. I'm going to share some things that stuck out to me in this passage. So Galatians chapter 1, you guys ready? Verse 11, this is Paul speaking. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origins. I did not receive it from any man, nor I was taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. If you guys remember, we talked about this last week. Paul is saying, listen, no one taught me the gospel. Jesus gave it to me firsthand. And he says, verse 13, for you have heard my previous way of life in Judaism, How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age. Among my people, I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. If you guys have your Bible, just highlight that word zealous. Because it's going to take us somewhere today. Paul says, I was zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, but God, someone shout, but God. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach to him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. I went into Arabia and later I returned to Damascus. In other words, what he's saying, he's saying, when Jesus gave me the gospel, I didn't go see the disciples. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing is no lie. Paul really wants you to know Jesus was the one who taught me all this. It was no one else. Then he says, I went to Syria and to Sicilia. Listen, guys, I practiced all week to get this one right. You guys didn't even matter if I mispronounced it, but in my head this week, I was like, I'm going to say it correct. Now I'm in my head. Paul went to Syria and Cilicia. (laughs) That was at least two hours of work on that one. He says, again, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They had never met me. They only heard this report. Look at this report. It's a good report. He says, the man who was formerly persecuting us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they praised God because of me. I want to call our message this morning a new zeal. A new zeal. Come on, can we give Prince a round of applause? Thank you so much, Prince. We'll, uh, we'll bring you back later on. Don't you worry about that. Um, hey, if, if you guys are new, if you're visiting, my name is Harrison, and uh, just so honored you could be here, every person online. Hey, what's up? So glad you could be here. Uh, last week, we began a series, as I said, going through the book of Galatians, and uh, what we said, this series is called All or Nothing. 
it's either all Jesus or we actually have nothing. And what we, we broke down last week, we broke down the message of Jesus. And what we said was the message of Jesus is good news. The gospel is good news. If you were to take anything from last week, the gospel is good news. That's what we talked about. And we kind of said, um, when you really get into it, it, it's in a sense, it's almost too good to be true. I was, um, maybe not by choice, forced by my wife uh, this last week to watch Love is Blind. Um, and again, obviously, someone of my intellect uh, had to be brought down to watch that show, which we're not finished, no spoilers. Um, but we were watching Love is Blind, and uh, it, it was really funny because uh, there was this conversation. Any of you guys watch the show? Okay, we know who to pray for. Um, there was a conversation uh, in the pods because they can't see each other. That's the gist of the show. And there was a Christian and an atheist. And they were kind of talking back and forth. And my gosh, my blood was boiling uh, because this Christian was speaking nonsense. And uh, I don't believe Jesus is nonsense. Anyways, I digress. Uh, however, in, in the pods, um, it was funny. I think the truest thing was said by the atheist. What the atheist said was this. He said, one of the reasons I don't believe in Jesus, I don't believe in God, get this. He said, it's just too good to be true. Listen, you guys watch Love is Blind. It's 10 hours of nonsense. Take one thing from it. It is this. What the atheist said was correct. The message of Jesus, the message of God is too good to be true. Yet, it is true. It is true. And so last week, what we said was the message of Jesus, man, it is so good. It is true. The grace of God is better than you could ever imagine. And we kind of finished last week and we said we would love to end the series there. Let's just stop there. Good news, gospel. But kind of the verse we finished off last week, Paul says all this good stuff. And he says, I'm shocked that so many of you are turning away from the news that is so good. And it's, it's something interesting when you understand the gospel. Um, the message of the gospel is fragile. And what I mean by that is not that the message itself is fragile, but our hearts are fragile. And so it is actually so good to be true that it is hard for many of us to believe that the God of the universe loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. It is hard to believe. It is actually hard to believe. Everything that we long for, everything that we are looking for is actually found in Jesus. And so there is something inside of us, inside of the human heart, that is in some sense in rebellion against this good news. We, we think there must be something more. And if there is not something more, many times what it is is that there is something else that is competing for our heart's affection, competing for our attention. And so a lot of what we're going to do in the rest of this series is look at how Paul um, really gives us the, uh, the tools to keep the good news good, to fight against those things in our heart that pull us away. And um, there's a lot of, you know, theological stuff we're going to get to. What I want to talk about this morning is I want to talk about a thing that I think um, has the ability to change our life, but it also has the ability to pull us away from God. And that is this word that I, I named the message after, um, this word zeal. Now, I know it's like kind of an old school world word, like, most of us don't use zeal in our everyday vocabulary. Like, how are you feeling today, Jimmy? Well, I'm feeling quite zealous. Like, we don't, we don't really talk like that in modern-day language. Um, so I want to make sure we understand the word zeal because my whole message is based around this idea of zeal. And uh, really, the word, word zeal, I guess, like in our language, 
uh, modern day language, I should say, the closest word we probably use um, would be the word passion. But truly, like when we talk about this idea of zealousness or, or to be zealous or, or zeal, um, it is trying to connotate something that is even deeper than passion. The word literally means like a fervor of spirit, but it is trying to, 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 to build this idea of, of being all in for something, to be on fire for something, to be sold out. You guys know what I'm saying? Like every fiber of my being, I'm into this thing, whatever that thing is. That is what it means to be zealous. And I happen to believe that each and every one of us as people, we are zealous individuals. And the reason we are zealous is because God himself is zealous. And we are created in the image of God. And so we bear the mark of our creator. And one thing I know to be true, what is God zealous about? God is zealous about you and I. How do I know that? Well, he, he loved us so much, the Bible says, that while we were still in sin, in other words, while we were in rebellion, in other words, while you were acting a fool, God said, I don't really care what they're doing. My love for them is so great, I'm going to send my son to die for them. Why? Because he is zealous for us. He is zealous for his name. And so for us as individuals, I believe that same uh, passion, that same zeal, it exists in us. The issue so many times is that many times, many of us, we have misplaced zeal. All of us are zealous. The question is, where is our zeal directed to? And like, come on, you guys met a zealous person before? One person? You guys ever met a vegan before? You guys know the joke, right? Like, how do you know someone's a vegan? Like, don't worry, they'll tell you. Like that's, that's like, it's the same thing like with exercise. Like you guys heard the CrossFit one, right? Like how do you know someone's in the CrossFit? Like don't worry, they'll tell you. You guys met someone that's all in for something? Now, now maybe for some of us it's not CrossFit or veganism, but like maybe it's, maybe it's our job. Come on, you met that person where it's like every single conversation, no matter what it is, they start talking about their job, how many hours they worked. It's like we're talking about the weather. It's like all of a sudden my job is being brought. It's like, because why? Because they're all in right? They're zealous. For some people, maybe it's like politics. And I know I'm, I'm trying to stay relevant. That's not relevant today, of course. Um, but it's like every single conversation, no matter what it is, it is somehow being twisted into X, Y, Z when it comes to, well, I, I know what you're saying about sports, but have you heard what's happening in politics, right? Like every single conversation, no matter what, it, it directs that way. Why? Because we're, we're zealous, Right? We're, we're all in. We're sold out. We're passionate. Church people. Now, I'd love to say Jesus, and I'll get there. But you guys met the people, too, that they're zealous for the Bible, maybe like just one book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible. It's a very, church people know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, I love Revelation. Like, Pastor, I get Galatians, but why don't you just switch a few letters? Let's go to Revelation instead, right? It's like, I'm sold out. I'm all in. Everything that happens, every new president, well, this is Revelation. Every war, this is Revelation. Why? Because they're all in. They're sold out. They're zealous. Now, the question we're asking, because I said a lot of times we have misplaced zeal. Like, is it wrong to be passionate about our jobs? Is it wrong to be passionate about veganism, sports, whatever it may be? Um, and the answer is no. There's nothing wrong with, with zeal because we're, we're zealous people. But the question I really want us to ask today 
when it comes to this idea of zeal is not so much what am I zealous about, but I want us to get this, but what is the thing beneath the zeal that is actually driving me? What is the thing beneath the surface that is building and and producing this passion, this zealousness that I see in my life? And what I want us to see is that many times, although what we are zealous about is not inherently a bad thing, the emotions and the motives that drive us are often darker than we know. So that's what I want to do to this morning, and I want to see how the zeal that God has for us um, is better than any zeal that we have for ourselves. So I want to study um, the Word of God here. My iPad just crashed. The devil's here, so, um, but Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Come on, Jesus. I got to read scripture here, so we're going to get to it. All right, thank you, Jesus. Come on, you guys ready to go this morning? I want to talk about a new zeal. So again, let's just read this again. Paul says, um, and this part's important, we're going to get to it probably near the end, but he says, I want you to know, verse 11, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached is not of human origins. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So again, a large portion of what Paul talks about in all of this scripture um, is that no one gave me the message but Jesus. If anything, just write this down. Like, why does he care so much about anything? It's that Jesus chose Paul for a reason. It was not an accident. That is the point he's trying to get across. Jesus chose Paul for a reason. It was not an accident. And he says, verse 13, he says, For you have heard my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism, beyond many my own age, among my people, and I was extremely, what's that word he says next? Zealous, Zealous for the traditions of my father. So um, we, we talk about Paul a lot, because uh, I preach from Paul a lot, because I love Paul. Uh, so can I give you guys a little bit of Paul's story, like a little more in depth, so we can understand who Paul is? He, he tells us here, really, kind of the big things, and the book of Acts and his other letters kind of all put it together. Uh, but before Paul was ever Paul, um, his name was actually Saul. If you go back to the book of Acts, the very first time he rolls on the scene, um, you learn of a man named Saul. And what happens, it is only when Jesus comes and changes his life that he changes his name. Uh, When you read scriptures, you'll see it a lot. When God comes in and changes people's lives, he gives them a new name. Um, because God is in the business of giving you a new identity. And the Bible actually says in the book of Revelation, when we get to heaven, God has a new name for us that will make sense to us because we all label ourselves in certain ways here, but God has something better for you. And he doesn't call you or see you the way other people see you. So um, you see it all the time in scripture, God changing people's names. So Saul, um, when he was Saul, he was what the Bible calls a Pharisee. And what a Pharisee was, was a religious leader. And uh, they were the ones, kind of like, if you want a picture, like a modern-day picture, they were almost like a pastor in a sense. Like, they, they were kind of the ones leading um, the, the, the Jewish people in the religious sense. Um, but Paul wasn't just any Pharisee. Because what it says here, he says, um, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age. In other words, like, th- there was the school of Pharisees, and these guys, like, like legitimately would, would, would memorize the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You can look at it and think, how do you memorize that? That's what they did. Um, when Paul says, I was advancing beyond anyone in my own age, uh, there's reason to believe then in Paul's journey, he would not have just memorized the Torah, but he would have memorized large portions 
of the entire Old Testament. Why? Because he says, I was zealous. I was on fire. I, I was the man. So Paul is, is literally this child prodigy. Right? He says, no one was like me. Like, I, I, was, I was the man. I was zealous. And what was his zeal in? Well, it was in the word of God. It was in, in what they had was the Old Testament, but their Bible. Paul was zealous in that. And so the question we must ask is if Paul's whole life was dedicated to the word of God, would this not be a good zeal? Was his zealousness not pure? For a lot of us, it's like, man, like, I, 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 I'm exercising. I'm working out. Like, I'm, I'm providing for my family. Like, how could these things not be pure? The question that we need to ask ourselves is simply this. Whatever it is in your life that you are currently most zealous about, what does my zeal produce? What does my zeal produce? That thing, that ideology that I'm all in for right now that everyone has to hear about, what does it produce? Paul was studying the Bible, at least their Bible at the time. How could it be a bad thing? Well, let's see what it produced. He says, again, in, in a verse earlier, he says, you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. You see, Paul was a man devoted to, to God, but he ended up somehow hunting down and destroying the people of God. How and why did his zeal produce that? Because as I said earlier, what we need to understand is that many times our outer zeal is masking an inner darkness. It is masking something that we would rather not talk about, rather not dig into, but the truth is what, is, what it produces is proof of the fruit that is actually driving us. So the question is, um, what was actually driving Paul? What was actually driving Paul? Well, when you look at it, and I want us to imagine for a moment Paul's entire life when he was Saul. He's studying scripture, memorizing the Bible. He becomes a Pharisee. Later on, we're going to read it, Philippians. He says, man, I was, I was a Jew of the Jews. I, I was the man. And so if you understand his life, what drove him, this zealousness, what was beneath the zealousness, I can probably put two and two together. And I would say the main thing that probably drove Paul was this idea of power, this idea of pride. Well, the more I study, the more people praise me. The more I understand scripture, the better everyone thinks I am, the closer to God they think I am. The, the higher I am in the pharisaical ranks, the more power I have. And so he masks this zeal by saying, I'm just devoted to the word of God. But what he did not realize was there was something darker that was creeping inside of him. And we know this because when Christianity came on the scene, Paul was fine to persecute. And, and we don't know if he actually killed anyone for sure, but he was at least in the presence of Christians that were killed, and he was okay with it. Why? Because what happens, and I think what happened for them and what happened for many of the religious leaders in their time, is that when Jesus rolled up on the scene, he essentially said to all these guys, hey, you don't know as much as you think you know. And the thing that you've been studying about is here in the flesh, 
yet you missed him. He says, I'm greater than, I'm greater than the temple. I'm greater than the law. I'm greater than the prophets. And the people are like, whoa, 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 hold on. That's all we know. And, and if Jesus is trying to say that he's greater than that, where does that leave me? And there's this power pull. And so these people that once had a lot of power, Paul included, when Jesus and Christianity starts to move forward, starts to take not just Gentiles, but Jewish people, they see it as a threat to their institution, a threat to their power. And the very thing that had driven Paul for so many years was being taken away from him. And so he was okay then to say, well, in the name of God, I'm going to persecute these Christians, put them to death if we have to. You see, when it comes to the, the, the big picture of what I'm trying to say, I want us to understand the implication. If on, on the outer, if Paul was just studying scripture, loving God, what that means is that I can be doing all the right things, but if I have the wrong motives, then I'm going to produce something that's not good. And my zeal is going to be misplaced. And so the question, I want us to ask a clarifying question for each and every one of us. The things in our life that are driving us, that zeal that we have, it is so simple. Not, am I doing a good thing or a bad thing? It's the wrong question. Just ask simply this, why do I do the things that I do? What is truly driving me? You see, for a lot of us, we're content to stay on the surface. But I believe that God wants to take us deeper. You see, I gave all those examples, and I think work is a really big one. Um, you know, this idea, like, got to talk about my job, got to talk about what I do, how much I make, how much I have, so on and so forth. And a question just to ask ourselves is, why do I do the things I do? Why does that play such a role in my life? You see, I think the reason that, especially the work one plays such a role, is because we live in this culture that praises you so much for what you do praises you so much for what you've accomplished. And so all of us begin to have this inner script that says, you know what, my value and my worth is based on my work. So I need to work really hard in order to be valuable. And in order for me to be valuable, or at least for other people to know that I'm valuable, I need to tell them how much I do. Because I won't have worth otherwise. You see, what I want us to understand, and, and this is clarifying, and it's, it's kind of scary, but... Beneath every passion, a dark side is there. A dark side exists. I know, it's like, well, not me. No, not me. I'm pure. Like, all my passions are pure and unadulterated. Like, I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. No, you're all right. But praise be to Jesus. He's good. He's truly good. And because he is truly good, that means I need to understand I got some things that exist inside of me. And I feel like I've been on a journey in my life and, and, and just continue to be on. And the more that I get closer to Jesus, the more he reveals who I am and my inner motives and, and what really drives me. And one thing that um, I see in myself is I have a quest. Um, I love to know things. I love knowledge. Like, I'm one of those people, like, when you watch a movie after, like, especially if it's late, like, me and Chris watching a movie, she'll be like, I'm going to bed. I'll be like, I got some research to do. <laughs> like, I want to understand who made this movie, these actors, they're, 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 they're just like, that's just my personality. Like, I, I want to know. I have this thirst for knowledge. I want to understand more when it comes to the Bible. I want to understand it better. I want to get into it. I want to see the inside, outside, all of these things. And I have this, this quest for knowledge. And, and on the outside, it seems really good, really pious. Like, wow, this, you just... He's a reader. 
you know, I tell myself, right, like, man, I just, I want to know God better. But the more you, and the closer you get to Jesus, the more he reveals what's inside. And I want us to understand that what exists inside of us a lot of times comes from scripts that we've believed our entire lives. And many times there are scripts that we hear from society, from other people, or scripts that we tell ourselves. You know, one thing for for me, and um, I I don't feel in any way that um, my family really put this on me, but um, I come from a very successful family. Like my my dad, my my uncles, my aunts, like everyone's very successful, very educated. And um, what that means is that you just grow up seeing it. And no one even has to say a word, but you begin to develop scripts. Right? You guys been there where it's like, I just need to... Yeah, I got to be successful, right? Like, I, I got to be smart. Got to get good grades and, and all these things. And then over time, these scripts begin to create. that says, well, your worthiness is how much you know or how smart you are or how well you do and, and so on and so forth. And that's how you begin to measure yourself. And then what happens is you can mask it, though, with good things, right? Like, well, I'm just trying to get good grades. I'm trying to get paid a little bit more. I'm trying to work a little bit harder. I'm trying to understand God better. But there's a deep script that lives within us, and the results many times in so many ways, if we don't understand them, comes out in pride. It comes out in unworthiness. It comes out in this never-ending cycle of trying to be better. You know, for me, one thing I really (laughs) struggle against um, is, is pride. Because the more you know, or at least the more you perceive to know, the smarter you think you are. Like, there, there was this thing last week, and um, just someone asked me for some advice, and because someone had said something to them about Jesus, um, and to follow Jesus is ignorant, and I was like, you don't talk about my Savior like that, and like, I, I flexed my thumbs out, and I wrote like a four-page text um, about all the reasons why the Jesus isn't ignorant, that person's ignorant, um, for thinking he's ignorant, and as I wrote it, you know, like, I told myself, I'm doing a good thing, defending my Lord and Savior. But when I really understood it and examined it after a while, it was just my pride. Like I wanted to know, I wanted them to know that, like, I know. I didn't even know that person, but I wanted them to know that we know. And I think that a lot of times we never actually stop to examine why do I do the things that I do. And this is where misplaced zeal comes in. And so for Paul, he, I don't know if that time he examined his inner motives, but he had this misplaced zeal where all that good stuff, seemingly good stuff, led him to be okay to put people to death. Because beneath the good stuff, a dark side exists. Is that making sense? I'm kind of just talking through it. So the question is this, how does God deal with Paul? How does God deal with you? How does God deal with me? Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, I'm going to try not to cry. It says, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace and was pleased. I shouldn't have said that. I'm just going to start going. Um, Just give me a second here. It's it's good. It's good news. It's good news. It's good news. Chase is like, I didn't know you had that emotion in you. How does God deal with our pride? How does God deal with those darkest things? But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace, he was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach among the Gentiles. What did God do to a man that was living in darkness, that was filled with pride, that was filled with all of this darkness? What did God do? He said, that's my man. 
That's my chosen instrument. That's the one I'm going to use to preach to the Gentiles. We said this last week. Who's a Gentile? I'm a Gentile. Most of you guys are Gentiles, unless that changed this week and there's some Jewish people here. What's up? God said, that's the one that I'm going to choose. That's the one I'm going to preach the message. That The message is going to come through you. And I see it in my own life. What does God do with my brokenness? What does God do with my pride? He says, you're the one I'm going to use. Why? Why does God do that? Why does God choose broken things? Why does God choose me? Why does God choose you? Because God is in the redemption business. He's in the business of redemption. That is just what he does. This is the biblical story from the beginning to the end. God takes the least likely things, the overlooked things, the not good enough things, the left behind things, the no one, anyone wants things, the two old things, the two young things, the two broken things, the two messed up things, and God uses them for his glory. That's just what he does. Moses, one of the greatest figures in the Old Testament, murderer. The greatest voice for a nation had a stutter. Why did God do that? That's just what he does. The greatest king that Israel has ever seen was not the oldest brother. He was the youngest brother. He was not the best looking brother. He was the guy hanging with the sheeps. I'm talking about David. And then when David became king, what did he do? He committed adultery. He's messed up. He's broken. He's the greatest king Israel's ever seen. Why? Because God, that's just kind of what he does. That's just how he works. Listen, in the Bible, and this is kind of the ark. The nation of Israel comes from a guy named Jacob. And the reason that it's Israel is because, again, God changed his name. Jacob means deceiver. But God turns that deceiver, who also happens to be the younger brother, not the older brother, into the nation of Israel. God's chosen and holy people. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 7. It says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a holy people for his prized affection out of all the people on the face of the earth. The Lord, look at this, did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous. For you are the fewest. But because the Lord loved you and kept his oath that he swore to your fathers. Listen, God didn't choose you because you were the best. He didn't choose you because you were the most moral, because you acted the right. In fact, you were the least. You were the most broken. You were the most messed up. That's just what God does. God was in the redemption business. He's in the redemption business. And that story doesn't stop. I said beginning to end. And if you feel like today, man, my story's over. I'm too far gone. I'm too messed up. No, you're just exactly what Jesus is looking for. But on the other end of the spectrum, God also wants to take the people that think they have it all together. And the people that have it all together are the most messed up. They just don't see it. Look what Paul says, reflecting on his life. This is Philippians chapter 3. He says, if anyone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, meaning in themselves. He's like, it was me. He's like, I was circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of a Hebrew, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for... Shout it out. Zeal. Zeal. Persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He's like, listen, when it came to what it meant to be a Pharisee, what it meant to be a Jew, what it meant to be a follower of God, no one followed God like me. I was the man. But I love this next part. He says, but yet, whatever were gains for me then, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. You guys want me to get nasty? The word garbage here is a, is a light translation. Literally what he's talking about is toilet paper that you've used. I told you, the Bible's all good. It's filthy rags. It's filthy rags. The best you could ever do is crap. One time, uh, one time I'm just going to say it. One time when I first started preaching, I said crap. And then someone was like, hey, you shouldn't say crap when you preach. I just said it four times today. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, hey, if Paul talks about filthy rags in the Bible, like, come on, somebody. Um, if you're offended by that, I'll apologize after. So the very best I could do is nothing compared to what Jesus wants to do. And the beauty is the very worst thing you do is not far enough away from the grace of God to be redeemed. And God wants to take the broken things and use them for glory. I, I was with a group of pastors this week, and one of them said something. I thought it was so profound. He said, you know, the more qualified I realize I am to be a pastor, he says, the less qualified I feel. <laughs> because he said, the very things that qualify me disqualify me. It's, it's my brokenness. Because when I understand who God is, I understand who I am. And that makes me feel like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm kind of junk. But then I'm affirmed because of the grace of Jesus. And the beauty of Jesus is that everything, I want you to understand this, all of that zeal that we have in each and every one of us, whatever your thing is, that thing you're zealous about. Listen, a lot of us, we, we, we pray like, you know, God, just get rid of stuff in me. Just get rid of stuff in me. Get rid of stuff in me. Listen, there's some stuff that God wants to get rid of, but the majority of what God wants to do in your life is not rid, but redeem. And so God wants to take those things. Listen, God wants to take those things you once used for your glory, and he wants to use them for his glory. And, and what that means when I understand my life, I think, oh, I'm messed up, I'm broken. But maybe that's what Jesus called me. Maybe that's why he chose me. Look at how it happens. Again, I'm going to just skip through the stuff. Paul, Galatians 1, 18, he didn't see the people, all that stuff. I went to Syria. Um, they didn't know me. He's like, they only heard one report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. The man who persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. Listen, there's a reason that God wants to use broken, messed up, imperfect people. Number one, because we're all broken, messed up, imperfect. But number two, what if the very things that if are not redeemed will probably destroy you, but what if when we lay them down, surrender them to Christ, those very things, those characteristics that one bogged you down, what if God wants to use that for his glory? Can I, t can I tell you something? I told you guys I'm kind of prideful, kind of arrogant. Um, but what happens when God redeems it is that pride and arrogance turn into confidence and humbleness. But I also know that we started this church, I was 24, well, I was just turned 25, but 24 years old. I'm going to be real. It takes kind of a cocky, arrogant person to think they can start a church at 24 years old. And I didn't know what I didn't know. 
But what I found out, number one, is that God humbled me very quickly. But he needed someone that at least has some confidence to respond to the call. And he wants to redeem it. So listen, that stuff in your life, I'm not saying you need to get rid of it. But what if God just wants to redeem it? Listen, that zeal you have for politics, my gosh, if your Facebook posts are on that fire for Jesus, what could happen? Listen, you post as many pictures of yourself as you did inspirational Bible verses, my gosh, what could happen? I know one thing for sure, you're committed to posting. Post about Jesus. Listen, you have so many connections. Like, I'm just, I'm a socialite. I'm a social bug. But none of your friends know what's important in your life. But God didn't create you that way by accident. He just wants to redeem it. Because God is in the business of taking broken things and using it for his glory. That's what I want to understand about this message. Not, how do I get rid of my zeal? No, no, no. How do I get God to redeem it and give me a new zeal, a better zeal? How can God take the brokenness in my life and use it for his glory? Can we stand for a second, church? You see, I think that the reason that God uses broken people is so that we can know the gospel is true. That it is only Jesus. It is only Jesus. It is only Jesus. It is only Jesus. And so your brokenness, guess what? There's only one cure. It's only Jesus. So can we just close our eyes for a second? Um, if there's someone in the room today and you just feel like, man, I don't know if I've ever really responded to Jesus. Maybe I've never heard the gospel like this, that God wants to use me, God wants to redeem me. Um, if that's you this morning, I just, I just want you to just get, show me your hand. Um, I would just love to pray for you. Um, you're saying, Harrison, I just want to accept Jesus. I want to I bring him into my life. If that's you this morning, just show me your hand. Um, I just love, I'd love to pray for you. And... Uh, for us of us, if we could just open our hands up, let's just receive this prayer. Jesus, I just thank you that your gospel is so good. I just thank you that you take broken things, messed up people, God, and you redeem them. God, I just thank you that you've taken up the redemption business and you're the chief CEO. And God, I just pray for each one of us, especially for those of us that feel like we're too far gone, too broken, too hurt, that we can just receive your goodness. We can receive your spirit, Jesus. So do what only you can do, God, in our hearts today. Um, make a difference, make a way where there is no way, where there feels like there is no way, God. Give us a double portion of your blessing. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray in your mighty name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. We hope that you were encouraged and inspired. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want to find out more about our church, why don't you head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.